As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Sveriges Riksbank Prize in Economic Sciences, in honor of Alfred Nobel, known most commonly as simply the Nobel Prize in Economics, is awarded every year to researchers that have made outstanding contributions to the field, with a particular emphasis on those who put forward new economic theories with real-world applications. Economics was a later subject added in addition to the original Nobel Prize fields of physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace. The Sveriges Riksbank, Sweden's central bank, pushed for that addition, and they pay the prize money to the winners in the field of economics, where the winners of all of the original fields are paid out of the estate of Alfred Nobel, who made his fortune after inventing dynamite. This year's winner was Claudia Golden, who is currently an economics professor at Harvard University, who won the prize for her work on mapping out the intricacies of gender pay inequality. Golden's work is worth talking about, not only because she has now won the most prestigious prize in all of academic economics for it, but because her work does what most people fail to do when talking about this subject, which is that it removes a lot of the emotion from the debate. Her award-winning papers collect as much data from as many different economies over as many different time periods as possible to reveal patterns that show the issue of the gender pay gap is in many ways very misunderstood on both sides of the argument. So, what were the economic discoveries that won Claudia Golden this year's Nobel Prize? What have most people been getting wrong about this very controversial economic issue? And finally, how could this work influence policies going forward to address these issues? Now, before we get into Golden's work, we need to give the big disclaimer. The gender pay gap is something that, to be honest, we have avoided covering on this channel for over four years now. The ratio of strong opinions to lessons that can be learnt by looking at this issue as a case study have always made it just a bit too scary. Nobody should be taking sides on what is ultimately just labour market dynamics, and this video will purely be an exploration of the work of this year's Nobel laureate from the perspective of a macroeconomist with the singular focus on maximising quality of life for all economic participants. With that out of the way, the collective earnings of women is less than the collective earnings of men in every economy around the world today, and as far as we're aware throughout all of history. This by itself is not anything new, nor is it necessarily even a problem. One of the biggest reasons that women collectively earn less is that less of them work in traditional paid jobs. The opening line of the Nobel Foundation's summary of Golden's research recognises this much. Globally, around half of all women are in paid employment, while the equivalent figure for men is 80%. The stated goal of Golden's work is not to achieve equality by any means necessary, it's simply to ensure that an economy is utilising its labour resources most effectively. If women do not have the same opportunity to participate in the labour market, or they participate on unequal terms, then potential labour and expertise are wasted. So the real question and controversy is in the why, of why do women participate less and earn less when they do? 
Now, the proposed answers to this question range anywhere from men choosing to do more lucrative jobs even if they're less fulfilling, more dangerous and more stressful at a higher rate than women. Some speculate that the difference is caused by other life choices like women choosing to leave the workforce to raise a family and therefore missing out on crucial years of career development. And then of course there is the argument that women are victims of systemic discrimination. There is also just pure circumstance. In what is probably some tragic irony, this year was one out of only three times that the Nobel Prize in Economics has been awarded to a woman. But thanks to the declining value of the Swedish krona, the prize money was about 10% less than it was for the male winners last year. Now, good economists should look at a potential issue like this and first work out if it really is a problem at all, and then work out what's causing it. Because the best solution to an issue like this is going to depend a lot on that cause. As Golden frequently points out in her work, even policy solutions made with the best intentions of fixing a complex problem can sometimes have the opposite effect and make things worse if it doesn't correctly address why that problem exists in the first place. What made Golden's work Nobel Prize worthy was above all else her examination of data from across different economies across different time periods. In the world today, there are genuinely economies that operate where women are at a significant disadvantage to men in earning power, amongst other things, because of cultural norms or legal policies that make it harder for women to get an education or pursue a career. In these instances, Golden makes the obvious suggestion that the removal of these institutional barriers and investments into information and education for women will over time help to close the earnings gap, even if it doesn't remove it entirely. So far, not necessarily groundbreaking stuff. But Golden also pointed out that in a lot of modern advanced economies today, women already have high levels of employment and in many cases are even more educated than men with higher attainment rates of university degrees. The same kind of policies in these instances will be likely to create worse outcomes for all economic participants in the country, both men and women. When there are already policies in place that mandate that pay can't be based on gender, and men and women have equal access to democratic representation, education and employment, then pushing policies that give even more resources towards one gender over another would just be a waste at best or cause misalignments in the labour market at worst. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Again, the goal of good policies, at least from a macroeconomics perspective, is to make sure that everybody can and is incentivized to make their maximum contributions towards the labour market. This is all to say that, for example, a potential Nobel Prize winning economist isn't forced out of academia because they're a woman, and simultaneously a man didn't miss out on an opportunity to develop some amazing new technology that could benefit humanity because of something like gender quotas. Because the consequences of bad policy can be so severe, Golden's work also looked at the non-policy variables that could lead to the labour market outcomes we see today, and one of the most important places she went to look for that data was history. She used historical records to create something that radically reshaped most economists' perception of how labour market participation between genders has evolved over time, the U-shaped model. 
Golden was not the first economist to study the gender pay gap, but she did look a lot further back than any serious research had before. Before Golden's work, most economists only looked at data beginning in the 20th century, because that's when records were most reliable, and because too much further before that, economies didn't really function in the same way they do today. Golden spent a lot of time finding sources from as far back as the late 1700s and cleaning up records that worked with modern data sets. One example was that in old census reports, married women's occupation was often just listed as wife, even if they had other work outside of pure domestic labour. What Golden found after putting all of this data together was a U-shaped curve of women's involvement in the workforce over time. Before the widespread adoption of modern industry, women would be involved in agriculture at rates similar to men as basic or even subsistence farming required the full-time attention of the whole family. As farming gave way to modern industry, the participation of women in the workforce started to fall because of a combination of the fact that they didn't necessarily need to work thanks to higher individual labour productivity, but also factory work was distinctly separate from the home so it was harder to balance domestic duties with a traditional job. Golden's work found that despite the previous assumption that pay equality was only getting better over time thanks to societal progression like giving women the right to vote and equal pay laws, gender equality due to discrimination was quite low at this time. Now, to be clear, men still did earn more than women, but the pay difference that could not be explained by the observed differences in factors such as productivity, education and experience were lower, because at this time work in most industrialising economies was paid based on unit output rather than a standard wage based on how many hours someone worked. Factories didn't care who produced whatever it is that they were making. Men, women, children, it was all the same and they just paid on how much was made. At this time, since most work was still pretty physical, men who were generally larger and stronger could produce more and got paid more, and while that may feel unfair, it was the outcome that maximised economic utility. If women or children got paid more per unit to make up for the fact that men could produce more in the same time, then no factory owners would want to hire women, reducing opportunities on an individual level and overall output on an economy-wide level. Over time, that is exactly what happened. The participation of women in the workforce continued to decline as jobs became more formal affairs where workers would be paid for their time more than their output. This was especially true of the growing service sector, where people were working more and more in white collar roles that required an education as well as a lot of experience. Golden found that even in the early 20th century, more women than most economists expected still worked in manufacturing and agriculture, but those industries were becoming a smaller part of the overall labour force, giving way to a lot of the jobs that we have today. Now at this time something unusual happened. Because people were working less in jobs that depended on physical strength, the explained earning gaps between men and women fell, but the unexplained gap increased. The reason for this Golden found was that pay in these new white collar jobs was based mainly on seniority in the business rather than individual output which was much harder to track than it was in a factory production line. To get paid more, people needed to get promoted, but women who left the workforce to go and have children found that difficult because that pause in their career would be hard to catch up from. Even women that didn't have children still suffered from this problem because businesses would expect that they might have a child at some point, so they didn't want to put them in any job that was too important. Eventually, what was arguably just a pragmatic solution to a reality turned into a culture in most of the early advanced service-based economies, where men wore suits and did business, and women working in the service sector could be receptionists or any other role that was easy to switch out when their time came. The professional roles where women still maintained a large share of representation were unsurprisingly ones where they were more hands-on, like nursing and teaching, roles that perhaps because of these opportunities became known as fields for women rather than the other way around. 
Golden found that since then this has been improving, as women are now able to move into advanced professional careers because of changes in family planning and simply the changing societal expectation that all women are ticking time bombs just waiting to explode with a baby. One of the most important policy suggestions that has come from Golden's work is that just like in the transition from industry to services, is that if governments push for equality at all cost, it can result in worse outcomes for everybody. Men, women, and the businesses they work for. Something like mandating that a certain percentage of a company's leadership has to be one gender or another is just reactionary and could result in the same kind of discrimination that economists are trying to avoid in the labour market. The solutions that Golden proposes are consistently ones that remove structural barriers for women instead of putting up policy barriers for men. It's naive and unproductive to think that men and women are going to have identical problems, but things like allowing for more flexible working arrangements for everybody reduces those barriers for women without denying opportunities to anybody else. Her final major contribution was the empirical evidence that changes in the labour force take time, and that any change should be slowly and carefully considered because it can often take decades for their full effects to become obvious. Nobody can fully predict the effect that new technologies like AI and advanced automation is going to have on labour force. Those changes could be easily just as, if not more impactful than the switch from agriculture to industry or industry to services. And with that, there is going to be a new set of challenges that policymakers will need to work around. So perhaps more than ever, Golden's thorough exploration of the past is going to prove incredibly useful for our future. Now surprisingly, Golden's work is probably less controversial than last year's winners who won the prize for their research on the role of banks in the economy. The problem was that one of the winners was Ben Bernanke, the former chairman of the Fed during the global financial crisis of 2008. Despite that minor hiccup, his contributions alongside last year's other winners are worth learning about, and you should be able to click to that video on your screen now. Thanks for watching, mate. Bye. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in-depth on the latest news and technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.